0: In the season one finale of Paid by the Word, host Mike Barlow is interviewed by radio personality Mike Bennett. Here's a snippet from their conversation. When I was a reporter, of course, I would always be trying to cage rides with anybody who had a cool airplane. Uh, I would say flying with a crop duster was nauseating. Uh, so that I wouldn't recommend. That's a little, that's, you know, that's a little bit over even my limit. Uh, hot air balloons are wonderful. Once you're up there, it's just so quiet and so wonderful. Uh, flying gliders is also really nice. I, uh, I interviewed one of the, uh, the original rocket pilots, um, and he set me up with some glider lessons. And that that's also, it's like so quiet.
1: Well, hello there, and welcome to Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with professional writers and editors. If you are curious about what goes on in the minds of people who write and edit for a living, this podcast is for you.
0: Thank you, Zoe, and welcome to episode 36 of Paid by the Word. This episode is our season one finale, and we'll be taking a short break before launching season two in October. In this episode, I'm interviewed by morning radio personality and talk show host, Mike Bennett. Mike and I go way back and I hope you enjoy our conversation as he prompts me to reflect on my career as a journalist and share highlights from my more recent expedition into the wonderful and rapidly expanding universe of podcasting.
1: And you have an interesting uh, laid back kind of interview approach. Uh, Is that just come naturally? Is that just the way you talk to people all the time, even when you're not recording it and sending it out into the world?
0: I've worked on it over the years uh, because I've been a newspaper journalist. Um, that was my first real job uh, ever. Um, I, I was a newspaper uh, reporter for five years. Then I was a newspaper editor for a while. And uh, and then I was really fortunate I got a job where I was both an editor and uh, a reporter because I could assign, I'd, I'd reached a certain stage where I was allowed to assign myself to stories. So I have been, you know, interviewing people for many, many years. And what I've discovered is, is that, it's better to let them be over the top uh, and and i just kind of like prompt them with questions kind of like you know what exactly what and i learned a lot by listen, from listening to you on your radio show because you are you know you're energetic but you're also very relaxed and i think there's a lot of strength in being relaxed uh, you know i know that sounds kind of zen but it's almost like the more relaxed you are the stronger you are and people pick up on that and then they they seem to be more willing to talk
1: and you've talked to a lot of celebrities over the years. Is there a favorite that sticks out? Or is uh, like Paul Newman says about his movies, they're like my kids. I love them all equally.
0: <laughs> that's a great. I'm not going to compete with Paul Newman, uh, who I would occasionally run into in Fairfield. But that's a whole other series of stories. But uh, I would say um, I, I have very fond memories of interviewing Liza Minnelli. I mean, Liza Minnelli, was she was high energy, I mean, vivacious, a really, really, truly unique individual. She was uh, sparkling, dazzling. All those words come to mind. Um, she was, um, you know, she was very, very present in the moment. I mean, if you were sitting on a couch with Liza Minnelli, you knew you were sitting on a couch with Liza Minnelli, and she wouldn't let you forget it. So if I sound uh, smitten, uh, it's because I was. This was I met her in the early 1980s, and she was just a terrific, terrific interview. And uh, and also a really good role model because you know when she was on she was on you know 100 100 there for you which is really really great. Um, I had a really nice interview uh, with Patrick Stewart uh, when he was promoting his uh, one man uh, version of A Christmas Carol. That was just so much fun because um, you know I, I was a big Patrick Stewart fan, I was a big Star Trek fan, and um, and we talked and we talked about A Christmas Carol. Then I asked him about some of the Shakespearean roles that he played. And he just went on this long thing about, you know, he, go, he said, you know, you're making me realize that there are a lot of similarities between Scrooge and King Lear. And then he just goes off on this tangent for like 20 minutes and then brings Margaret Thatcher into it. And it, I suddenly realized in the conversation, it was like having a, you know, just a, a conversation uh, with one of your friends. You know, it was just so it was so nice for all of the, um, you know, whatever uh, barriers to just kind of fall away. But then he so he was doing the show. And, and suddenly he had his makeup call. So he goes, look, I, I can't talk to you anymore. Um, I'll, I'll call you right back. So I said, no, you're fine. You're fine. But, but he hangs up. And then he doesn't call back. But about two weeks later, <laughs> I'm lying in bed. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning. And you know how when you're a newspaper reporter, you have late nights. So I think I'd been up till about like four or five in the morning previously. So now I'm, I'm zonked, I'm in bed and the phone rings and hello, this is Patrick Stewart. And I've gone, I must be dreaming because there's no way Patrick Stewart would call me. And he said, I'd like to continue the interview, continue our conversation. And I said, the story, you know, I wrote the story up, it's been published, everybody liked it. And now we're cool. So you don't have to do anything. And this is funny, because I was thinking about this. And this was, you know, in the nowadays, if you write a story or, you know, you, you produce a story, you can send it to the person instantly. You know, you send them a link to it and they see it like two seconds after you're done. Back then, when stuff was published in the newspaper, you know, somebody, I would ask somebody, oh, could you send a copy of this to Patrick Stewart? Or actually, you send it to his agent. And, you know, so it, it made complete sense that two weeks could have gone by and he didn't see the story. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was funny that, you know. I pick up the phone and there's Patrick Stewart, and I'm thinking, no, it's not Patrick Stewart. I'm dreaming. Uh, but one of the uh, a really nice interview uh, I had a I had a very nice interview with Jimmy Doolittle, and Jimmy General Jimmy Doolittle, of course, was the a uh, uh, World War II hero, and I interviewed him at West Point. So I'm there, and there are a bunch of cadets at West Point, and they they really didn't know who he was. This was again in the mid 1980s, and Doolittle was pretty old at this point. He was uh, receiving the Sylvanus Thayer Award. And it was weird because I, I it turned out that I was really the only person in the room who who knew, you know, about his amazing exploits in World War II. And so, you know, we, we started talking and I resisted the urge to say, gosh, you don't look anything at all like Spencer Tracy, uh, <laughs> played him in the movie version. And he didn't. He didn't look anything like Spencer Tracy. I think the cadets were expecting some kind of a warrior type, you know, like, you know, some big, you know. Big, huge, gruff guy, but you know Doolittle is a pilot, and he was uh, shorter than I am. I and mean, he's just a little tiny little guy. And so we just wound up talking about flying, and and I I uh, was asking like, what was your favorite plane to fly? And then he kind of gave me a stock answer, but then he said, really, my favorite plane was the Spitfire. So then we talked about you know flying a high performance uh, aircraft, and it was just it was just charming. So that's the that's what I loved and what I miss about being a. Uh, you know, newspaper journalist is you just have an excuse to talk to so many wonderful people and, and you get surprising, wonderful commentary from them. So what
1: well, you've led us right into our next uh, question, and that is your background as a pilot has led you to many, many exploits in the air including a ride on the Goodyear blimp, a hot air balloon, and stuff like that. Is there a favorite flying story? And why why did you become a pilot? What was it about that that drew your interest?
0: Oh, you know, Mike, growing up in the 1950s, uh, my favorite TV shows were always like Tom Corbett, Space Cadet or uh, Rocky Jones. I think. uh, Yeah. And, and Steve Canyon, there was even a, a TV show briefly about Steve Canyon. And of course, there was men into space. So I was just always fascinated with flying. And then, you know, life happens and you kind of get derailed. So luckily, again, in the mid eighties, I had a chance, uh, to, to go back and take flying lessons and get my pilot's license. And it was, uh, it was like a dream come true, and it's just a wonderful experience. Um, and I, you know, I recommend it for for anyone. And when I was a reporter, of course, I would always be trying to cage rides with anybody who had a cool airplane. Uh, I would say flying with a crop duster was nauseating, uh, so that I wouldn't recommend. That's a little, that's you know, that's a little bit over even my limit. Hot air balloons are wonderful. Once you're up there, it's just so quiet and so wonderful. Uh, flying gliders is also really nice. I, uh, I interviewed one of the, uh, the original rocket pilots, um, and he set me up with some glider lessons. And that, that's also, it's like so quiet. And people say, well, how can you fly an airplane that doesn't have a, a, an engine? The, the wings are <laughs> like 40 feet wide. <laughs> so, you know, you're not going to fall. It's, uh, if anything, with a glider, it's kind of hard to get them down. And, and the Goodyear blimp was hilarious because uh, we flew that over, uh, we flew from Teterboro, uh to, uh, to the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. And they said, watch this. And they spun around the Statue of Liberty. So they didn't have to make kind of a turn. Like when you're in an airplane, yeah, you have to make a banking turn and it takes a while to make the turn. With a right. blimp, you could just like pivot it, you could just pinwheel it. And it was also very. They let me fly the Goodyear blimp, and and to be honest with you, it's it's pretty easy. You'd ha- again, you I think you'd have to work really hard to crash the Goodyear blimp. So uh, God God willing, that will never uh, never happen.
1: Wow, what experiences you have! I hope you've written this in a book.
0: Oh, I read it. I will. <laughs> <laughs> as
1: soon as this interview is over, start typing. <laughs> yes, yes. Now you also trained cadets at West Point.
0: Right, I, I trained with the cadets. Yes, oh, the, with uh, the, cadets. the Yeah, because uh, again, I would always volunteer for um, these assignments where they said, "Well, the cadets are in training, and they're looking for a reporter to uh, to cover uh, their training." And uh, so, you know, and and I I'd been a Boy Scout, and uh, and I so I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and I was a Boy Scout. So I figured, you know, between those two experiences, how hard could it be to train with the cadets at West Point? And they used to, I don't know if they still do this, but they have us after their, um, their first year, their plebe year, uh, in between their plebe year and their next, their second year, their sophomore year, or whatever they call it. They have a, a, a special training camp that's supposed to get them ready for being in the field and, you know, maybe even being in combat. That was a pleasure. Uh it was hilarious. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, you know, being with a bunch of so I think I was like in my late twenties at this point and they were all eighteen and nineteen year olds. And it was just absolutely hilarious running around in the woods <laughs> back in, uh, you know, Highland falls playing, playing army. I mean, uh, it's actually, it was a lot of fun and, and just very, very nice and very pleasant. And they're, they're great kids. And they had just at that point also, they had just, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, West Point had become co-ed. So uh, that was really nice to see, you know, the cadets being normal kids, you know, there were, there were boys and girls and, uh, and hand grenades. Uh, and so, you know, <laughs> boys, girls, hand grenades and rifles and bayonets, too. So it, w- it was a lot of
1: fun. All right. So how did you get into this podcasting crazy business?
0: Well, uh, actually, my son suggested it uh, because what had happened was I had a client. Um, I-, I should backtrack a little bit and say, after I left the newspaper business, I, uh, I kind of got into uh, business writing. And then within a couple of years, I had become the most famous ghostwriter that no one had ever heard of. And in fact, that's uh, is still how I open some of my pitches. To go, and who are you? It's, I'm the most famous ghostwriter you've never heard of. And um, so, one of my clients had had wanted to do a podcast, and then at the last minute, uh, she backed out. And I'd had all the equipment, and I had everything all prepared, and I, you know, researched and how to do a podcast, and I practiced and all this stuff. And at the last minute, she said, "I don't want to do this." So I was kind of bummed out. And we're sitting at the table, and uh, and my son said dad, why don't you just do a podcast anyway? Do your own podcast. And I uh, said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And I started calling people, mostly people that I knew um, who were in the media business uh, and said, would you mind uh, being interviewed for the podcast? And of course, you were one of them, Mike. And your podcast, by the way, is, uh, is, one, is in the top 10. So I've done uh, 36 of these things. And, and Mike, yours is in the top 10 in terms of popularity. And uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you for for being a guest and early guest wow. on the podcast. I'm stunned. One of the things that I've learned from this is that it's like any other product, you have to market it. like there's a certain point at which you know you're allowed to start off by just you know telling your friends and your family, "Oh, or asking them, begging them to please listen to the podcast. But if you want more people to listen to it, then you have to get out of your comfort zone and you really have to start you know marketing it the same way you would market any product that people don't know anything about you know the first time that car what's that you know i have a horse what do i need a car for you know and and you have to actually kind of put on your your marketer's cap and figure out how you can talk people who wouldn't necessarily listen to a podcast that featuring conversations with the <laughs> with journalists and, and radio personalities, you know, talk them into, uh, into listening. So it does require actual like marketing chops. And that's a lot. I found that that part is a lot harder than doing the actual podcast itself.
1: So now you're yeah. planning a second season of podcast. Are there going to be any changes like, you know, a new host or really radical things? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, the good thing about, uh, I, I, I could say, well, I'll, I'll shave, I'll start shaving for the second season. But, uh, but since it's a podcast and no one can see it, who would know? The first season uh, was mostly personality driven. And I would, you know, interview people and say, uh, talk to them about their lives and about their work and about their their emotional, you know, uh, investment in their work and stuff like that, and how they got started, you know, little mini biographies. The second season, we're gonna focus on themes. So, um, you know, themes like how to be a great editor, or what was the, uh, what was your favorite assignment, or what was your least favorite assignment, or you know, how do you get started in the writing business? Uh, long form versus short form. Also, a lot of the uh, the reporters that I've spoken with have kind of, you know, have talked about the psychological impact of covering disasters and, um, and you know, and terrible things. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the post-traumatic stress in- syndrome in this business, uh, which tends to be kind of, uh, you know, we usually tend to self-medicate. That's not a great idea. We'll be talking about the difference between regular reporting and investigative reporting, uh, stuff they don't teach you in journalism school, and, and of course, how to write an obituary. <laughs> so, so it'll be more theme, theme driven and less personality driven. That's the plan at any rate. All
1: right. So a lot of people, it seems everybody has a podcast these days. So mm-hmm. what's your advice to the last person on earth that doesn't have a podcast? What would you say to them about starting one?
0: The, you know what the trick is? It's so one, definitely do it because it's a lot of fun. Two, the, the hard part is continuing the podcast. So it's easy to get started. Uh, when you start hitting like the third or fourth podcast, you suddenly realize that it's kind of more like work. And, and that's where you have to use all of your professional chops to set up a schedule, set up deadlines, figure out where you are in the production process, and then just make sure that you're following through. The only major change I made in the first season was that initially I had I'd started off by doing two a week, but that was way too aggressive then I, I cut that back to one per week. And that that seems to work pretty well. But you still have to uh, make the effort to line people up, and then, you know, follow up with them, and then record the podcast, edit the podcast, and then uh, promote it. So that's where a lot of people... So theoretically, like there are a million podcasters out there, but there are actually very, very few podcasts that last more than two or three episodes. So it's weird, the, uh, the bar is still pretty low, just by having 36 episodes over a seven or eight month period puts me into the top 10%, which is, it just shows you how, how uncompetitive this whole field still is. I have a feeling that it's going to grow and become really competitive, and then it's going to be like, um, you know, it'll be something very real. And, but by then I'll, I don't know, I'll be back to flying hot air balloons. <laughs>
1: Now, is there any uh, thought about length of the show? What's what's the best podcast length, in your opinion?
0: I think about 20 minutes. I guess if if I could get away with less, I would do that. Uh, You know, initially, I thought, because people, when you get started, people will offer you all kinds of advice. And like, uh, let's see, what's some bad advice that I've gotten? Uh, Some bad advice is your podcast should be between 40 and 50 minutes long. Okay, that's, don't do that make it, you know, your podcast should be between like 20 and 25 minutes long. There's that. Two people said, oh, you know, Mike, they want to hear as much from you as from the guest. That's also incorrect. They want to hear as little from me (laughs) as possible and more from the guest. I mean, you know, you know that your job as a host is to get other people to be talking. That what you're doing here with me, and I guess, you know, one of the reasons why I'm talking so much now is because I haven't had a chance to talk for the last seven months because I've just been asking four or five word questions, which I think is what the podcaster's job is to ask these very short questions that then lead to cool answers from your guest.
1: And of course, the, because the guests change every week, uh, that keeps the interest of the listener, up, the listener of the podcast, as opposed to you, uh, you know, ranting and raging every week. <laughs> Yes. Right. I know you're capable of, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes, that would get old very fast. And again, it's a little bit like a campfire uh, or or it's like, you know, going to the store where where your friends are, the deli. You know, you're just trying to get conversations going. It reminds me of, of your wonderful stories of uh, of being in the, uh, you know, being in the cafeteria at Orange County Community College where you know, you just, the people you know, you're, you're there at the table and a cast of characters keeps wandering in and then wandering out and wandering in and that's, I guess for people like us, this is what makes I mean, well, there are lots of things that make life worth living, but this is one of them also. And it's it's fun. It's just a lot of it's a lot of fun.
1: Stay well.
0: Yes, you too. Okay, because yeah, we have to outlive all this stuff so then we can that's
1: right really crank. We you gotta keep going.
0: Yeah, no excuses. Okay, that was our season one finale episode. And I hope you enjoyed listening. We'll be taking a short break and we'll return for a new season in October. Please subscribe to Paid by the Word on your favorite podcast platform and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. They're all absolutely free, of course.
1: That wraps up another episode of Paid by the Word, a podcast featuring conversations with writers, editors, and media professionals. We are grateful for your attention and we wish you all the very best. Stay safe and be well. Bye-bye.